this morning, uh, we're continuing in our series called Decisions, Decisions. And this whole series, what's been happening is we've been trying to, as best we can, get it drilled into your head that you have a Heavenly Father that loves you and a Heavenly Father that really cares about the decisions you make. Uh, a Heavenly Father that has a plan for your life, that wants to be involved in your life, that wants to be involved in your decisions. And a Heavenly Father that understands that sometimes you will make decisions that you will carry with you for the rest of your life. He wants those decisions to be good ones. And so we've called the series Decisions, Decisions, and uh, making the, uh, the best choices ever. And uh, this morning, what we're going to be talking about, last week we talked about the idea of that how difficult it is to make decisions when there's a lot of emotion involved. And so last week we talked about anxiety, which was a feeling that we get um, when we don't understand the future. Essentially, what we talked about was the fact that it's a feeling we get when we're at, when we, don't, we can't control. And so what we want to do is we want to control. We want to control other people and we want to control the future. And when we can't control other people, which we can't, and we can't, and we can't control the future, which we can't, then we get anxiety. And when, in the midst of anxiety come really, 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 really poor decisions. And so... Uh, what we talked about last week was, well, then what do you do when there's a lot of emotion? What do you do when there's a lot of uh, passion? What do you do when, when kind of things seem overwhelming? How do you make wise decisions? And so this morning and next morning, we're, uh, next week, we're going to be talking about some tools we can have to make wise decisions amidst all the emotion and amidst all the type of stuff that's, that can happen when... Uh, when, um, I don't know if you want to call it, passions are high, I guess. And so probably the best place to start if we're going to do that is in the area of our sexuality. Now, I just really quickly, I just want to say this briefly. Some of you might be offended by some of the terminology I use. Some of you might be uncomfortable. Matter of fact, I guarantee, I can almost guarantee you that at some point during the sermon, you're going to be uncomfortable at some point. But the fact of the matter is, is that uh, our culture... We've been talking about the fact that culture wants to conform you, and that's good or bad. It doesn't, I'm not making an indictment. There are some things in culture as they conform you that are actually good. Um, the, the fact that we're much more um, sensitive to ethnicity as a culture is good, okay? I, I mean, you, you might want to call it political correctness or whatever, but the fact that you have to think about what you're going to say before you say it is actually really, really good. The fact that we are now more um, willing to celebrate other cultures, those are all good things, okay? So not everything that culture wants to conform you to is bad. But there's another concept that God talks about in the Bible about being transformed, about what would it be like if Jesus were me, if Jesus were uh, a husband, or Jesus were a wife, or Jesus were working where I was working, or Jesus had my kids, or whatever. And that's transformation. And sometimes there's an overlap. It's not this or that. Sometimes they, they overlap. One of the most confusing places uh, that where God's transformation and the culture's confirmation come and collide is in the area of our sexuality. And our culture is, we love us some sex. It is in everything. It's in every, almost every advertisement. It is in our songs. It's on the television. And so if you're offended by the fact that, that we're talking about sex in church, you need to wake up. Uh, uh, if not here, then where? 
okay? And so, so that's the thing. Now, what we've been talking about, we've been asking ourselves this question. Uh, considering my history, my current reality, my future identity, what is the wise thing to do? This is the question we've been asking ourselves for every invitation, every decision we have to make, every opportunity we have to make. We've been asking ourselves, considering my history, what happened last time I was in this situation? Am I good at this or bad at this? Have I historically had a hard time um, in this area? In, in, considering my history, considering my current reality, have things changed now in my life where things I used to be able to do, I shouldn't do now. Things I, I didn't do, I actually can do now, considering my current reality. And, and most importantly, and as we get into the area of sexuality, considering my future identity, who I want to become. What's the wise thing to do? And that's the question we've been asking ourselves throughout the whole series. <clears throat> So here's the thing. I have these uh, boxes up here, and for those of you who are uh, listening online, just imagine that there's four different walls that are painted like giant Legos. And uh, this particular wall over here at the end, uh, that's kind of on the edge of the cliff here, um, this is some sexually immoral decision you've made. Now, in terms of this morning, I'm going to talk about it in terms of an affair. And the reason I talk about it in terms of an affair is because almost every single culture, every religion throughout history, I mean, would agree having an affair is wrong. (laughs) Okay? So, I mean, even if you go back to other cultures all the way back, 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 they understand that when you get married, however marriage looked like in that culture, once you make that decision to have an affair on that person is wrong. And so for this particular, but this could be anything. This, is, this could be sex before marriage. This could be uh, multiple sexual relationships. It could be pornography. It could be pick your sexual poison, if you will. Uh, this, this is wrong. And so, so here's the thing. If I were to poll us all here and I were to say, having an affair, uh, is it right or wrong? Um, you'd all say it's wrong. Now, there might be some, well, it depends. What if she was deserted on a deserted island and you didn't know she was still alive, huh? Okay, I'm sure there's some statistics out there or something, a story where it would be okay, all right? So, and, and my point is this. We all kind of guarantee it's wrong. Now, here's the question I have for us. If you know it's wrong, and I know it's wrong, and every culture that's ever existed pretty much knows it's wrong, and every religion, whatever you pick, is because pretty much the overwhelming consensus is it's wrong. Why does it happen? Like, why does it happen? In a group like us, I'll bet you could, I'll bet you know somebody where they blew through this wall and are now suffering the consequences of the other side of the cliff. If we know it's wrong, and everybody agrees it's wrong, and the Bible says it's wrong, or the Quran says it's wrong, or pick whatever says it's wrong, why do people have affairs? Now, again, like I said, pick your, pick your poison. It could be pornography. It could be some type of fornication or whatever, you know, you know whatever you want it to be. What, what happens? Well, part of the problem is, The messages we get about sexuality are oftentimes confusing, especially from culture. Our particular culture in America says this, essentially. um, Sex is no big deal. 
Uh, we might call it hooking up. We might call it one-night stand. We might call it, hey, I went to a club. I woke up at someone else's apartment. And we're like, oh, man, it was kind of funny. Uh, we humorize sex constantly in our culture. Um, as a matter of fact, we do this not only just with hooking up, but we do it with pornography. It's a big joke. Everything's a joke. No big deal. What's the problem? As a matter of fact, um, uh, we, we think it's progressive. Like, like the idea uh, seems kind of smart. Like we're, we're smarter now. We're smarter now. We're not prudish. We're, 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 we understand, hey, come on, it's no big deal. On the other hand, culture tells us that you can't live without it. It's not just live without sex. Live without like steamy, hot, creative, passionate, just sex. Like, you, like that's what I was going, I was in the shopping line and uh, uh, my wife and I have this joke um, uh, not a sexual joke, although we have hundreds of those. Um, uh, we we joke because in, in Cosmopolitan, you know, I'll walk by the line and, and, I, and I'll always like like nudge her and go, "There's like 16 more positions we could know about." You know, it's like you know, it's like 100 ways for you know, soul rocking, you know, whatever the, the the whole thing is. And and it's like it's like it's not just. I mean, it's no big deal, but man, it's a big deal. We got to talk about it all the time. We got to put it, insert it into everything. We got to do all this kind of stuff. We got, we got, it's a big deal, okay? But it's not really a big deal. And when you get married, society will tell you, well, well, now it's really a big deal. As a matter of fact, if you know anyone who's, uh, they'll say, I, 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 I caught my husband in an affair or, or, or with this other woman or whatever, the first thing you think of, the first thing is, did he have sex with her? Because sex is kind of a, a, a big deal. Now, we get those competing influences from culture. From the church, historically, it hasn't been much better. The church, when it talks about sex, if, if, if a Christian parent even actually brings up the subject with their son or daughter, it's just like, you know, uh, you know, it's like really hard to talk about and it's uncomfortable. And so from the pulpit, you know, that's, you know, don't, you can't have sex before you're married. You can't have sex before you're married. You buy kids rings and necklaces and all this kind of stuff. Don't have sex. And, and there's a sense that it's dirty and it's wrong and, and it's bad and you should just do it with your husband and wife. You know, take the dirty, bad, wrong thing and just do it with the person you spend the rest of your life with. And it's like, wow. And we laugh, but I've had people in my office and people close to me where they grew up in a certain society, a certain um, uh, religious culture, if you will, where they have a really hard time having sex because they've been, it's been drilled into them ever since they were little. Wrong, 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 wrong. Okay, now it's cool. And it's like, uh, you know, there's kind of like sexual schizophrenia, both in the church and in the culture, okay? And so this is the problem. So, so we end up with something we know is wrong, and we end up doing it anyway. And, and, and so what happens is in the church or whatever, or you're young and you've been told, hey, you know, save yourself for marriage, save yourself for marriage, and then you don't save yourself for marriage, and there's this incredible shame and this incredible guilt, and you just feel worthless, and, and then all of a sudden that starts a snowball effect of, of well, hey, I'm worthless, and I, I'm dirty, and whatever, so let's go. And we end up ruining part of our lives. Now listen, uh, the Bible talks about sex 
a little bit differently than a lot of times the church brings it up and certainly more than culture brings it up. Sex in the Bible is actually a super really, 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 really big deal. It's really important. And, and we tend to, as culture, uh, focus on the pleasure part, okay? And, and, and so we focus on that, and that's where the, you know, uh, cosmopolitan thing comes in. And, and, and if you add up all the covers of cosmopolitan, it's like 17,000 different ways to have sex. Uh, that are soul rocking. Uh, anyway, and so that's, that's that, that physical, uh, pleasurable part. And, and, and the Bible takes that for granted. The Bible knows that. God created that, okay? It wasn't like God created man and woman, and then we're like, whoa, he did what with what? I didn't know, no, no, get, get off of her. You know, it's like, it's like God understood that, okay? But here's the way the Bible views sex, and if not only in the Old Testament, all through the Bible. Genesis chapter 24, we go right back to the creation account. And, 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 and God makes Adam. And then Ad, he brings all the animals in front of Adam. And Adam's just like, uh, no. <laughs> and, then, and so there's like not a suitable helpful, helper. So God makes Eve out of Adam, okay? To just drive home this idea of what sex is for. He says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. This is not, the, this is not an anatomy uh, lesson in the Bible. It's not a biology lesson or physiology lesson. It's not like, oh, I get it. They become one flesh. Okay, right. You know, it's like, I see how that works. It's not that at all. There's a uniting of two lives. There's a meshing of two souls. There's this sense that, that it's not, it, sex is the vehicle by which this is accomplished. If you want intimacy, lifelong intimacy, it's accomplished through sex. This is what the Bible teaches. It goes on, I and mean, Jesus even talks about this. We'll view it in just a little bit, but Jesus talks about this idea of one flesh. Paul talks about this idea of one flesh twice. Matter of fact, in this text we're going to look at in just a little bit, right before that, he's talking to the Corinthian church, and they're all sexed out. I mean, they, 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 uh, they, it's the same problem the church of Corinth has that we have today. It's just a part of their culture. They couldn't understand, uh, the culture couldn't understand why are these Christians abstaining from sex? And Paul understood what what uh what the old testament understood and he says this he says do you not know that your bodies are members of christ himself shall i take the members of christ and unite them with a prostitute never now you might go well i'm not remember the prostitute so that's okay that's not the point paul is making although he is talking to the church about this because it was common at the time listen to the theology of sex that paul says do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. Sex is a really, really big deal. There's something that happens that's different than just the physiology of it. There's an exchange. As a matter of fact, so much so that scientists now... Well, again, not even from a moral or anything. We'll tell you something happens during sex. Your brain changes. You change. 
And, and it's kind of weird the way science is marrying up with the Bible, something that the Bible talked about for, for thousands of years. Science is saying, yeah, there's, 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 it's scientifically not a good idea to hook up with a lot of people. There's something that happens to you. Sex is a really big deal. The Bible talks about that. And so he, he, he says, don't be joined to a prostitute. Not only is prostitution wrong, he's not making that point. He's saying, this is what happens. Now, now you're part of her and she's part of you and you're going to carry that with you into the next relationship and she's going to carry it into the next relationship and it's just baggage. And it dulls our soul. It dulls our potential for intimacy. And so the Bible understands the pleasure part and the Bible understands the physiology part. But the Bible says, really, sex is really just a vehicle for something much greater and much deeper this uniting of two things. So, so what happens here? What, what happens? Why, why do people have affairs? Here's the thing. I, I, I wrote it on the screen. We can, uh, you can write it down if you want or what have you. But Every bad moral decision, an affair, viewing pornography on the internet, hooking up with people, um, whatever, you just fill in the blank of whatever. I, I should have written down more examples. Uh, is preceded by several decisions that are not wrong. They're, in, they're, they're not wise. So, so in other words, our culture and you and I, just from our heart, this is just the way we are. We want to know how far up to the line can we go before it's wrong, right? If you're a young person and you're dating, that's like the first thing on your mind. Hey, pastor, how far is too far? Like, hey, how, what does the Bible say about, you know, this is really uncomfortable for me, but how, how far up to the line can we go as a couple before we've actually done the wrong thing? Because don't we want to maximize our sexuality before it's wrong? Every bad moral decision, an affair, wow, those aren't real Legos. Um, <laughs> Every bad moral decision is preceded by a bunch of decisions that were not wrong. They were unwise. So, Ralph and Susan. I change the names every time. So, just help me remember. It's Ralph and Susan. So, if I start calling them James, just know it's Ralph. Okay. You're like, wow, there's like five people in this story. They, this is bizarre. Okay. Anyway. So, Ralph and Susan uh, work together. They've been working together for several years. And they become friends. Um, because when you're in an office with somebody for a long time, you get to know them, they get to know you, you get to know all, all, all sorts of things about people. I mean, that's, that's what happens when you work together. And so Ralph and Susan work together, and they've become friends, and there's nothing wrong with being friends. As a matter of fact, the Bible talks about having friends. The Bible likes friends. Uh, the Bible says nothing about having a friend that's someone, a friend from the opposite sex. Uh, nothing. It doesn't say it's wrong or anything like that. So they become friends. And, and so Susan uh, knows Ralph. Did it, was it Susan? Is that what I said? Okay, good. Susan knows Ralph and, uh, and all of a sudden Ralph comes in one day and, and he, looks down, he looks troubled. And so Susan, because Susan's a caring person and the Bible says you should care for people. Uh, Susan says to Ralph, Ralph, what's wrong? And Ralph says, um, I don't want to talk about it now. Let's just go into the in the break room, you know, this is kind of personal. Um, my wife and I are doing very well, and, and it just doesn't look like it's going to, that, that we're going to make it. 
And so uh, he's confiding in Susan, which isn't wrong, by the way. And the Bible doesn't say anything about that. As a matter of fact, it says we should share one another's burdens. Okay, so really, it's like a Bible study. Okay, so they're in the break room having a Bible study, uh, talking by the water cooler, which is totally fine. You can talk by the water. Jesus talked to a woman by the water cooler, essentially, <laughs> right? And so... I'm, he, this guy, Ralph is like Jesus, essentially, and this woman's like the Samaritan woman who came to know Jesus. And so there they are. They're by the water cooler, and they're sharing uh, these things, and they're confiding. They're bearing one another's burdens, and they're, and they're, and they're like Jesus. And so uh, there they are. And so, uh, you know, what well, big deal. They go back to their cubicle. No, what's the big deal? Nothing, okay? He wasn't, didn't even touch her, okay? So there they go. And then um, after some time, they're working late um, together, and they everyone would leave and then they'd just be there in the office and all the lights were on, nothing happened, there's nothing wrong with that. And so they'd work together uh, late at night and they'd stay, and no, nothing happened. They didn't jump in each other's cubicle, they didn't do all this kind of stuff. So uh, uh, then, you know, it's Friday night and everybody goes out for drinks for happy hour and um, so they're all going to meet at this one place and so they meet and and uh, everybody's having a good time. They're talking about the work and everything and the boss and isn't she stupid and all this kind of stuff. And, and it's fun and everybody leaves and then Ralph and Susan are still there and Susan's had a little bit too much to drink and so Ralph decides he's going to take her uh, to the house, uh, to her house, because um, you have to drink responsibly and Ralph probably saved Susan's life. And so uh, Ralph, being the kind of guy he is, because you should care for people and take care of them, uh, gets Susan into the car and brings her to Susan's house. And, um, and then she can't just go walk to the... What if she trips? What if she falls and hits her head and goes into a coma? Okay, is that what you want? And so, no, I don't think so. So Ralph decides he's going to help her inside because Ralph is that kind of guy. He's like we said, he's like Jesus kind of. He talks with the woman at the water cooler and, and he gets her inside. Now, now here's the thing. They go inside and the door closes and then we all go, did they have sex? <laughs> like, oh no. Now, if we're watching a show and that happens with the two characters, whether you like the characters or don't like the characters, you have a certain amount of emotion. Now, listen, nothing's happened that was wrong. There was nothing in that story that the Bible says, don't do that. But there were many, many, many decisions that happened that were unwise. And so, especially when you get to the area of something as valuable as sharing a life together for the rest of your life, these little tiny decisions that you make that are unwise lead up to that. And further, they lead up to that with momentum. Now, if that's the case, if sex is really, really important in the Bible and it's viewed as a pleasurable vehicle to lifelong intimacy between a man and a woman, okay? One woman, one man for life. That is God's model. That's his plan. If that's the case, if that's the case, what does he have to say about these little decisions going forward? Because none of those I mentioned was in the Bible, you go out on a date with your boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever. There's nothing wrong. You know, you're trying to figure out how far is too far, all that kind of stuff. Wrong questions to be asking. 
Now watch, if, if that's the case, if it's really, really important, and people blow it, even though they know it's wrong, what do we do? Well, the Bible talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We already looked at the prostitute part, which is a, which is a no-no, just so we can review and be clear on that. Um, but, God, but Paul also talks about the theology of sex, about becoming one flesh. He says this, in light of the fact that it's important, flee sexual immorality. In other words, don't get right up to the line and go, haven't touched it, 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 <laughs> right? Flee. Go the other way. The repercussions of this are too damaging. God understands how, why he created sex. And he understands how great that vehicle can be to intimacy and to uh, fulfillment of how we were created. And because it's so valuable, he says, don't even mess around, flee Get as far away as you possibly can from sexual immorality. It's too important. <laughs> it's too great. It can be too great. Like it, it, it can be so great. Don't ruin it. Don't blow it. Don't end up like so many other people with just that sense of regret. So he says, flee Sexual immorality. Get as far away as you can. And then what he does is so weird. Matter of fact, it'll take you a while to kind of wrap your head around it because you've probably been taught all your life something a little different than what he's about to say. He says, all other sins a person commits are outside the body. Now, what, don't worry about that so much. Is worry about the fact that what Paul's about to do is something that we don't typically do. He's about to put sex Sexual immorality in a different category than all other sins. Now, if you've been in the church for a long time, you've been taught your whole life, hey, all sins are the same. Even if you've just said one little white lie, you're guilty of everything. You're going to go to hell. That's usually the rhetoric of where that goes. That's the reason we say all sins are the same is because we want to take the tiniest sin. For the person who's living actually holier than you are and you're a Christian, you got to get a way to get him back down into the thing. So you say, hey, all sins are the same. So, you know, even though I cheated on my taxes, I saw you say a white lie. So that's the thing. But Paul says, no, 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 no. From the standpoint of position, my position with God, yes, all sins are the same. You sin once, you're unholy, we need to be holy before God, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. But Paul's talking very, very practically here. He says sexual sin is in a category all by itself. All other sins, those are outside the body. He goes on, he says this. All other sins are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Like, positionally, sin is equal, but the consequences are not. The consequences of sexual sin actually have another damaging effect. Now, for a culture that views sex as purely physical, we, they talk openly about some of those consequences. You might have a baby, okay? Uh, you might get a venereal disease. Uh, you know, whatever, whatever all these other things are, you know. Um, and isn't it weird how culture, um, and, and again, uh, 
uh, you can write all your complaint letters to Bob. But uh, isn't it weird how we, we call guys who sleep around studs and girls that sleep around sluts? Like there's this weird, weird thing. Like, like it's okay for the guy to, like that's conquering. Like they, they, but, but the girl, no, she, she can't. So what society does is try to mitigate those physical problems. So we say, you know, uh, wear a condom and then that'll help with the sexual disease part and the baby part or get an abortion and then that'll stop the baby part and, and all, all these different kinds of things. And and so, or, uh, you know, the, the, the guilt and shame or, or the, the, the consequences you feel, uh, we'll just say it's not bad, and so then you won't feel guilty. And so culture tries to do a job of mitigating that. But there, the, the thing is, the Bible doesn't talk about sex just purely in terms of physical. It says you become one flesh with that person. And so there's something else that happens with sexual immorality. There's something else that happens when you view pornography. You diminish yourself. Your chances of intimacy lessen. They dull. Your intimacy, um, if you will, sensitivities dull. You don't have the capacity that you would have before. Something happens. He says, all sin a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. And the thing is, the Bible knows you can't go back and forth. And so this is another thing culture tries to tell you. You can sleep around, hook up, all this kind of stuff. But when you get married, then then it's serious. Then you got it. It's like you can't. You know, can you imagine? You come home and you're like, hey, honey, don't worry. We, We just hooked up. And it was consensual, so it's fine. What's for dinner? Right? Like everybody knows that's wrong. Okay, but culture tells you, no, that's fine, that's fine. But then you get married, hey, no, 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 you can't have, it wasn't a big deal, but no, it's really a big deal. So you got to have to, it's again, sexual schizophrenia. You can't go back and forth. You can't say, here I'm going to, when I go to the club on Friday, I'm going to hook up and it'll just be physical. But then if I get into a relationship, then I really want it to be emotional and uh, intimacy. And I really want our souls to bind. And I really want, oh, it's going to be forever. It doesn't, the Bible doesn't clarify that. It doesn't distinguish that. It says when you have sex, that's what's happening. Your life is being joined to that person. There's, you can't jump back and forth. You don't, here's what the Bible says. You don't decide. The decision's been made. Sex is the vehicle to intimacy. Sex is the vehicle to sharing a life together for life. So he says, all these sins uh, are outside the body. So what do you do? How, how, do, you, how, do, you, how do you get past this? What, how do you, kind of what's the guideline? Here's the guideline. We're going to skip to verse 20. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, <laughs> here's, uh, let's go back. How far is too far? Let's get Okay. How far is too far? I don't know. Are you honoring God with your bodies? Like, like, like where should the line, if I'm going to honor God with my body, now where's the line? Doesn't that sound a lot like, oh, in light of my history, my current reality, my future identity, what's the wise thing to do? I'd like to find a man or a woman that I could spend the rest of my life with, that our relationship is intimate and deep and fun and rich. Okay. Should, is this the guy? No. 
I just was lonely and wanted to date somebody. Okay, well then let's move the line back over here. Because once you have sex with him or her, uh, it just complicates things and it brings a lot of baggage into the next relationship. And if this isn't it, if you're not sure, if you can, I mean, could you imagine what would happen? <laughs> let's put it in this way because guys are just, you know, they're, yeah. Like, like li- literally, the guys will walk out of here and be like, yeah, sex. Okay, the girls are like, that was really good. Was very, I feel great. Okay, um, so, so can you imagine you're, you're out on a date and, and you're thinking, hey, you know, you're a guy and you're thinking, hey, the, you know, this might end up pretty good. And she looks into your eyes and she says, I want to spend the rest of my, I want to share my soul with you. If we have sex tonight, I know this will be the beginning of just my forever with you. I am yours forever. That's really good protection from having sex. Because the dude will be like, he's gone, right? But that's what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen. The two will become one flesh, and there'll be something that happens inside of both of you. Now, the guy may try to just keep shoving that down and just keep trying to go from relationship to relationship to have sex, to have sex, to have sex. And then when he's in his 30s and 40s, he wonders why there's no, his wife is like, like, you're empty. There's like nothing. And he's thinking about sex physical. And she's like, you got nothing to offer because there's just this deadness. What happens after he's been shared, 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 and brought all those relationships in? In light of your, hit, your future identity, who you want to be, what's the wise thing to do? Honor God with your bodies. Well, let me just give you a couple things to do that you can take home with you this week and uh, you can begin to put into practice whether you're married or not. And, and listen, I know that we're all in different stages of our lives. For some of us, we're like, <laughs> okay, like sex, okay, that ended, you know, when I had my great-great-grandchildren. Uh, but but the, 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 the fact of the matter is you'll be talking to somebody within the next couple of weeks about this topic or something, someone's going to come and ask you or whatever, and hopefully these things will help. So here, here's, here's the first thing uh, that I, I, I wrote down. Um, set standards so far back from the edge that there would be no consequences. So if you're married, okay, and, and it comes water cooler time. Don't have that conversation. Start setting your, your standards back like you're scared to death of an affair. Now listen, I know it feels good if you've got someone at work and they're attractive or whatever. And listen, work, we go there and we're dressed our best and we put on our best behavior and we don't like leave our underwear on the floor and we, like, we're really good and maybe we'll help with the dishes in the break room or whatever. Uh, you know, you know, so, so we kind of have this thing of, of like, oh yeah, you know, we, sometimes we'll fantasize. We'll talk a little bit about this, about what if I'm married to them? You know, wow, they're, oh, that we smell nice, you know. Like, my husband never smells nice, but they always smell nice. Set the, st- the thing far back. So, so I'll just share a little bit with my own life. Um, I have these different things in my life, these different barriers, these different walls that I've set up before I became a pastor that, that, that take my chances of an affair uh, back to here. 
And so, so there's just little things. Like if I'm, if I'm in a conversation with a woman, just in my mind, I'll just bring up Lisa and how awesome she I'll, I'll, One of my rules is if I'm talking to somebody of the opposite sex for any length of time, I'll bring up a compliment about my wife and just how awesome she is. Now, now listen, listen, listen. I don't do this because I think the person's really attracted to me and wants to have sex with me at any time, okay? <laughs> I, I'm not that arrogant, all right? I, I, I realize that it's not like women are clamoring to get me. I understand that, okay? But here's the thing. For the people that sit in my office after an affair, uh, they weren't clamoring. I've seen them, okay? They're, the women weren't clamoring for them either. There's something that happens outside of that. And so the boundaries you set, listen, the boundaries you set are not for the way your relationship is now. And I talk to young couples, and I'm like, you know what? I know you, your best friend's been female all your life, and you're a male. You, you're, that's probably a relationship when you get married that's going to have to go. What? And the wife is like, oh, that's okay. I don't mind. You know, they're about to get married. I trust him explicitly. Okay. Is it wrong? No. Is it unwise? Yeah, it is. Your Facebook friends, all this kind of stuff. You don't, listen, you don't set the boundaries for the way your relationship is now. You set your boundaries for how crappy it can become. So that when you have a marriage problem, which you will, because all marriages go like this, your boundaries are already in place. Okay? We have boundaries here at church in the office of how doors should be open and all this kind of stuff. Why? Because I'm super attracted to Bob? No. Okay? It's because those things are in place, okay, just because we all really, really, really value our marriages. And so they're just all in place. Now, what does that look like in your life? I don't know. I don't know. Some of you got to come go back home and figure out, you know what, maybe I need to get rid of the internet at my house. Like the internet. The entire internet. (laughs) Gone from your home. Maybe, maybe you need to set a boundary with the people you talk to. Maybe you need to set a boundary of the friends you used to go out with. That maybe, maybe you and your buddies did a thing every weekend. I mean, uh, every year, a weekend that was just the buddies weekend. And maybe you go, you know what? I'm going to put another boundary in place and I'm going to be back here. Here's the other thing. Write it down. Tell somebody, these are my boundaries. Get it, get it out in the, in the open. When Lisa and I first started dating, we, we dated, uh, started dating when we were 16 years old, and I went to a church called Lake Avenue Congregational Church, and it was a big church in Pasadena, and they had a thing on sexuality. And if that wasn't uncomfortable enough when you're 16, they had you bring a parent, okay? So I was sitting next to my dad while they were talking about <clears throat> sexuality. In every possible term you could imagine you wouldn't want to hear when your dad is sitting right there. Okay, the only thing worse would be is if we were in our bathing suits or something. I mean, I don't know what could be more uncomfortable than how that felt right then. But what they did is they put on the, on the uh, screen, and I think at that time it was an overhead projector, uh, and it was written uh, this, this little like, um, I don't know, like, a, like, you know, moving down the line sexually, like a little graph. Like it starts off with holding hands. Okay, and then it goes to uh, sexual intercourse, right? That was the thing. And they went through each one all the way down the line of what it is and what. And I'm telling you, there was like 15 of them. And it was so uncomfortable. But here's the best, here's the best advice I had ever gotten in my life from church. 
the guy said, decide now where your line is. Like, I don't even have a girlfriend now. Decide now. In other words, set your boundary before the momentum has started. Set your boundary before it gets all hot and heavy. Set your boundary before you're in that situation. Okay, and so, so what we did was I started dating Lisa and we finally realized that this was kind of going to, this is a big deal. And so, um, so I took this sheet of paper with everything on it and we went to Eaton Canyon in Pasadena and I said, listen, we're going to need to decide now how far we're going to go. <laughs> right? That was uncomfortable. And so what was even more uncomfortable was it, came really obvious really quick that we had different lines, okay? And so um, I started with the sex line, and I'm like, well, we're not going to do that. You know, of course not. That's terrible for two people, you know, to do that. You know, <laughs> right? You know, you, okay, we get rid of that. Then I'm just like, fine, and then this one next down to it, I mean, that's wrong too. Totally. It's totally wrong. Oh, yeah. oh what? What even? What is that? Okay. And so here's the line that Lisa and I have. We remember this very well because you remember trauma. Um, uh, I just, she says, keep ripping. <laughs> keep ripping. You know, and I'm like, I'm like <laughs> yeah, just trying to make it last as long as possible until we get down. But we, we, we established our line. Listen, I cannot tell you as a man who likes sex a lot how much that saved us. Because it took all the pressure and baggage and guilt and questioning and what do we do now? And well, man, now we found ourselves here. It took it and put it all to the side and we got to enjoy our relationship. We, within the boundaries, we had assigned. So that's number one. Set your boundaries far away. Flee sexual immorality. Okay, there are some relationships. Go home now unfriend. You know who they are. Unfriend. And here's what happens. You end up, maybe you've never even had a conversation with them online, but you check their Facebook page and you see what they did this weekend and you see how they're doing and you sit to yourself and you think, boy, I wonder what would have happened if we had. It's the second thing I have. Set your boundaries far away. The second thing is don't feed the fantasy. Don't feed the fantasy. See, in the fantasy, you're king or queen. See, the pornography fantasy is this. W whatever yours is, I don't know. And I've just, that there's no consequence to sex. Pick your story. She just wants to have sex with you. I mean, she, not only does she want to, she can't wait to have sex with you. And you're king. And remember we talked about last week, the lie is that you can have kingship without stewardship. And so the, the, the lie is, oh, I, you know, the fantasy is I can just have sex with this person. And I don't have to do any of the stewardship things you're supposed to do in a relationship. I don't have to care for her. I don't have to go through her menstrual cycle. I don't have to do any of that. I don't have to go to the store and buy stuff I don't want to buy. I don't have to pick up. I can do whatever I want. I'm king. That's a fantasy. Don't feed it. 
Stewardship is what God has. You care for one another. You go through the, what do we say? For better, for worse, richer, poor. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter if they, you go through a time and one of you can't have sex for a certain amount of time for some reason, whatever. It doesn't matter. Stewardship. The fantasy is kingship. Women with the uh, romance novels and all that and the guy, you read about the guy at all. <laughs> so, and then he got in a plane, learned how to sky write. And then, ah, and now he's in a coma, sitting by his side. It's a fantasy. The guy stinks just like your guy, okay? His body odor is the same. All right, it, don't feed the fantasy. Don't allow your mind to go to places that you, the Bible says this, sex is so great, for the joining of two lives. It's really good. That's why it was designed. And in light of that, in light of the fact that God has made it this vehicle by which we can unite lives, what do you think his advice to you is? Use protection? No. His advice is flee. Flee. It's going to damage you. Now, as we close, as uh, you guys are like, phew. I, I want to just give you a couple things real quick. Because there's some pushback uh, that typically happens uh, um, as Adra comes back up. Uh, one of the things is, um, you know, it, it's going to be a lot of work and it's going to kind of look foolish. <laughs> I mean, I have some boundaries back here that can get actually more uncomfortable just in normal meetings and stuff. Like, it, it, okay, it's a lot of work and it's a pain. And so it's like, well, what's it be? As long as I don't have, have an affair. But this is, this is what happens when I am sitting with somebody in my office who's either gone through an affair or had some type of thing happen sexually or whatever. They'll, they're willing to do all the work now. <laughs> Oh, yeah, the guy has an affair. He's, he'll go to counseling three times a week to get rid of the shame and to try to put the pieces back together. It's way easier to set the boundaries farther back than to go through the pain of rebuilding what's been torn down. But in every area of life, isn't maintenance better than construction? Just keep it going, maintaining. It's much easier than rebuilding. And so we get that pushback. The other pushback we get is, um, well, not every business is weird. Like, nobody does this. Well, that's been the whole point of the series. <laughs> yeah, if you want to just lift your feet up and do what everybody does, if like that's your goal, if you wake up in the morning and you say, God, I want to be like everybody else. Help me today to just be like everybody else. We, we know that culture doesn't design people that are that great. We want to be transformed. One last thing and then we'll end. I've never, ever, ever met, nor will I probably ever meet somebody who looks back at their life and says, man, I wish I had sex with more people. You know, I, I mean, I wish I had had sex with 25 people. <laughs> Typically, you hear the exact opposite. God, why did I do that? There's no regrets 
for healthy boundaries. Zero. Thank you.